Hey, welcome to episode 32. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and we are back already. And wow, trading is obviously the topic right now in the National Hockey League as we close in on that March 3rd trading deadline. So let's start off with just a proverbial butt-kicking last night by the Toronto Maple Leafs of a 5-1 to score, which certainly leads us into the trading issues. I think a lot of people are really nervous right now. I think there's a lot of people that are concerned that Montreal is not going to have a market to nearly get rid of even remotely as many players as that it was hoping to. You could, like I've been saying from time to time, really end up watching just Jonathan Duran, Evgeny Donatoff, Paul Byron, although that's not a big issue because he has just been brutally injured all year, just end up walking away for nothing. You could watch players such as Monaghan and Edmondson not nearly bring home as much in draft capital or assets as they would have at one time. Just another hellacious year for injuries on the Montreal Canadiens and the roster. It's just unbelievable. I get it. Injuries are part of the game. But the level of injuries, and not just with the Montreal Canadiens, although the Montreal Canadiens still have more injuries than anybody else that I can think of at the moment, injuries in general this year have just been season-ending. It's just been nuts. The amount of long-term injuries, the amount of teams right now using LTIR is just insane. Somebody's got to look into this. And I think, honestly, one of the biggest things that haunts the National Hockey League is, I believed back in 1993, when teams like Anaheim and San Jose joined the NHL, there should have been a change made at that time. We were well into Europeans already coming into the National Hockey League. We were well into an international stage. And internationally, the rink is 15 feet wider than the NHL rink. It is 100 feet wide by 200 feet long. And although 15 feet does not sound like much extra space, it's a lot more room. Maybe that would allow or at least prevent some of the injuries That in the game needs to, for all the people that want to make rule changes, first of all, I am not a big fan of the overtime, the way that it's set up. I am not a fan of the three-on-three, the shootout, any of that. I think that waters down, quite honestly, is deeply offensive to the traditional roots of the game. I think especially with the amount of money that fans pay is you just play until it's over with, and you play five-on-five a regular game. But we also, the changes that we do need to see is the red line needs to be taken out. If a puck is thrown down the ice and it's going to be icing, just call it right there. There doesn't need to be the whole chase because when you got somebody going for it, try to get back out of their own end, and then you got somebody right on their heels that are going to just bash them into the boards, what do you think is going to happen most of the time? Shoulder separation, rib injury, back injury, name it. It's just stupid. It's asking for problems in a situation that could be very very avoidable. Look, I'm a huge fan of hits. I, some of my favorite hits ever. I loved watching Ally Afraidy hit people, Larry Robinson, Scott Stevens. I, I love the big hits and open ice hits of today. The, to this day, a lot of people still want to talk about how Eric Lindros's career was cut short. Hey, he did something really stupid. He was playing against Scott Stevens and he had his head down. He didn't look up and Scott Stevens didn't target him. Didn't go after him, wasn't coming at him, just stood there and waited for him to hit him and get a clean, 
open ice body check. I don't want to see any players get injured unnecessarily. Those kinds of hits and plays, I'm okay with. But this boarding of players back into the boards themselves, hitting them from a blind spot, coming at them from full speed behind, pushing them face first and trying to cut their face open on the boards and the glass has got to end. For a very long time, as much as I've been a hockey fan, and I have been not only a hockey fan, but a hockey fan of the Montreal Canadiens since 1970. I think some of the greatest games, my opinion, 72 Canada Cup, Rendezvous 87, in, in my personal opinion, were the best two tournaments ever in the history of the game. Certainly argumentable. I'm sure there's some things that other people love, and you know what? They're passionate about it. Those things belong there too. That being said, when you get to the Olympics, I have largely in part been a fan of the Swedes, the Finns, generally the European teams, because they play a high-skilled game. It's not about crushing your opponents. They have some respect to not end their opponent's career. They're playing against them. They're not trying to put them in the hospital and put them out. I just don't get it. And the common excuse of, well, you know, you get emotionally wrapped up in the game. It takes you over. No, it doesn't. No, not if you're a professional. You do not get caught up in the moment. You are able to maintain separation. Why? Because you're a professional. Because you're supposed to be able to do that. You're not supposed to intentionally try to hurt your opponent. That's the move of somebody that should be eliminated from the league permanently when done. And if injuries such as sticks to the faces and things like that were met with severe or at least equal punishment for however long that player is out, the perpetrator is out. If that player never comes back, they never come back. You meet it with equal punishment and impact. Because if you don't, unfortunately, for as smart as society claims to be, obviously not that smart. If you really think that that is legitimately part of a hockey game, it's not. Have some professionalism. Have some integrity. Have some ethics. I mean, really? And Montreal, with their 5-1 to loss to Toronto last night, is a blinding example of the results of injuries. I mean, the team is just ravaged. It's like watching kind of an NHL team, but you're really watching mostly AHL players right now, which, by the way, has been a great opportunity for a lot of the AHL players. It's given them an opportunity, put them in a position to showcase what they have and what their skills are, which is great for them. I am a huge fan of Raphael Harvey-Penard. I think he has been exceptional from the moment he's been called up and in every game. I think he is engaged. I think he's active with the stick. He can play with anybody. He can shift up and down the lineup as needed. Can't get much more versatile and flexible and a need component of a team than that. But there's been other players. Jesse Yolanin, not really impressed. I could see that recent second pick that he was in his draft being traded elsewhere for a second pick and another draft coming up. That would be one trade I'd definitely make. Montreal, though the injuries are horrendous, is definitely getting a chance to see what it has at what positions, who's going to make it, how their development's coming along, and who's going to be a part moving forward. That is, if there's any way to have an optimistic view at these injuries that have just ravaged this team and a lot of the league, that is the positive note is you at least get to see what you have, where they're at, and what they're going to be to your team component-wise. That at least is a plus that way. But the injuries, Kirby Doc now, last two games, he's been out. So one thing that's also become clear in this season is who really are the key components of the Montreal Canadiens. There's no question about without all the players in the lineup, such as 
Cole Caulfield, and others, there is no question that it's had a huge impact, and unfortunately not a great impact, on Nick Suzuki's game. His point totals have dried up. I also believe Nick Suzuki right now is just plain tired. I think he's played not so much because of the minutes that he's played, but because of the physical impact of when, how, and how often he's playing. So that the one sounds like it contradicts the other right there. It doesn't. I don't think he has a problem playing 19 plus minutes a game. The problem is the physical impact that he has to have during that, I think is very obviously taking its toll. The fact that he misses Cole Caulfield, that's an understatement. Kirby Doc, another solid asset to the team this year. Very apparent the offense misses him. Very apparent the team chemistry misses him, just like they miss Caulfield and Suzuki. Caulfield and Caden Gooley and Yarav Sarkowski's injuries have been brutal impacts on the Canadians. Everything from not only getting key ice time to development time, but just to being able to gel with teammates. It's been a huge impact. Monahan's loss out of all the players injured and potentially who could be traded, his injuries have been a huge loss. He was an extreme help to Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, as well as Kirby Dunn. It has been nice to see recently the fact that Jonathan Drouin, Mike Hoffman, Joel Armia, Evgeny Donatov have come alive and started to produce some points. Unfortunately, with the combination of the length and commonality of their injuries and how often they're on the injury list and the very, very late signs of showing anything skills and points wise, along with Monaghan's injuries, has probably drastically reduced their trade value. I still hope to see a lot of them traded. And quite honestly, at this point, if Hoffman, Donatoff, Druan, Armia, all netted third round picks and nothing else coming back to the Canadians, I say make the trades. And who knows, maybe they go on to be far more value than a third round draft pick, which was given up for them, but they are just wastes of a roster spot. Alex Bazil is another one who's been called up from the AHL lately. He is far more valuable and has been far more engaged. When he's been called up and is on the ice, it seems to bring Michael Pizzetta alive. I mean, Pizzetta's had some awesome games lately. Much more engaged. And where's that engagement and energy been for a large part of the season from him? And I think that's because he's been misplaced and kind of lost in the shuffle of all the other changes being made on the roster. Unfortunately, I think Alex Bazile should have been the right wing and Michael Pizzetta should have been the left wing of the fourth line the entire year. They're just energy players. They're good team players. They watch out for their teammates. They stick up for their teammates. Wow, what an idea. And they actually have skill. That's the scary part. Everybody's like, oh, you just want to see another enforcer type on the team. No. Michael Pizzetta and Alex Bazile and Arbor Jacki have all shown that the new version, if you will, of the tougher player also has to have skills and skating ability. Jacki by far, of course, is the best out of the three, but that's not really a compliment to him. Arbor Jacki that guy has been everything that nobody had any idea that he could be is the best way to put that because he has just blown people away and has continued to, from his start as a walk-on junior prospect all the way to now, has just been an amazing story. And as I've said in past episodes, if you can't get excited about and don't have an appreciation for him and he doesn't show you what can be done if you actually have the drive and commitment to follow through, then there is going to be a person you're going to meet in your life that's going to show you that example any better or any more obvious. He has just been remarkable.
remarkable. I still believe, and I'm going to drive this home until the season's over with, he should not only be the most valuable player on the Montreal roster and the team's MVP on the Montreal roster, he is a top three and should be the winner of those three choices for Rookie of the Year of the National Hockey League. Even if he doesn't play another game, for once, let's give it to somebody for the reasons that the award was meant to recognize, okay? That would be really nice to see for a change in all awards, and for that matter, in just about everything across the board one comes into contact with. I really also believe it's time to move out, although David Savard has had a really consistent season. I think David Savard has probably helped younger defensemen more than any other defenseman on the team, largely because he hasn't been injured, but still, he's been able to provide a lot of advice, a lot of experience, a lot of calmness, kind of played the role as what they like to call the cooler, just kind of settling down whoever he's paired with on the ice. As much as I appreciate all that, I honestly believe it's time for him, Joel Edmondson, and Chris Weidman to be moved. It really is. And if Savard and Edmondson land you second round picks, so be it. Yes, Montreal wants desperately another first round pick, but I think the only player that's been mentioned in trades that is going to land that first round pick and possibly even more than just one first round pick is Josh Anderson. The only other player that I've mentioned on the long list of players that I think should be traded this year is Christian Dvorak. He can probably also land you a first round pick. If you're really lucky, you can trade Monahan to a Carolina or to a Las Vegas. That can also land you a first round pick this year, but let's be honest, that's going to be in the final four to six picks of the first round. So some people would argue that wasn't that like a really more of an early second round pick? Maybe, but that's where that's going to fall. Unfortunately, Edmondson has been injured way too much again. And at this point, the team I think that picks him up, if he's traded, is picking him up for as an insurance policy that will probably allow him to not play the rest of the season except for like the final two games before the playoffs to kind of get back into if you will game condition and we'll be acquiring him for a playoff run for a band-aid backup or cover position on the defense in case somebody else goes down or to be able to rotate through. That's unfortunate because I think Edmondson is a hell of a team leader. I think he leads by example. I like the guy, but his injury system has got to make Montreal management be shaking in their shoes. That is just not a good scenario. In Weidman's case, I think his biggest contribution to the team this year has been the fact that he was willing to give his number 20 jersey to Yurav Slavkovsky in training camp. He's been largely invisible. He's been a ghost for the most part. He's had a good game here and there, but clearly he was of more value to the team last year than this year. And I think there are defensemen in the AHL that, if not even in the plans of the Montreal Canadiens, should just be able to showcase their talents for the rest of the season. It meets two needs. One, it's got to make all the Connor Bedard people hoping that the Canadians just fall off a cliff and constantly and continuously improve their draft lottery position. And two, for the players themselves, maybe it gives them an ability to be on a stage and say, hey, next year when I'm a free agent at the end of this season, remember what I did the last part of the regular season last year? I can do that for you. And Corey Sherman is right at the beginning of that list. At this point, I quite 
honestly, even if Caden Gooley and Arbor Jacki are ready to come back this year, I don't know if I'd dress them. I might just let those two and Cole Caulfield and Yurov Sokoski just take the rest of the year off. That really bothers me in a way, but to ensure their entire recovery and 100% health moving forward with no lingering effects, cumulative effects, or anything else that's happened to any of those guys so far, I'd shut them down. You've got the extra players in the AHL. Bring them up. You're not making the playoffs. That's obvious. And the same thing with Kirby Doc. I don't know what his quote-unquote upper body injury is, but if it's anything risky, shut him down too. Not a problem. Just shut him down. Because unfortunately, the risk is too great moving forward. You want all these guys to come back next year. And by the way, before anybody comes back next year, including players that haven't even gotten injured, I would think, I think the the entire NHL needs to do this. But in the case of the Montreal Canadiens, with the 21-22 season and the 22-23 season injuries have been profound. I mean, to a level that has never been seen. I believe they've actually set the record consecutively now for two years of the most man games ever missed or lost by a team. That's a problem. Okay, that that's not the kind of record you want to set. Some people would say, "Hey, but we set a record." You're like, "Nah, not really the kind you want to set." Those ones usually don't have a should we say positive cumulative effect. Let's put it that way. So over the summer, I don't know if the entire nutritional training and medical staff need to be replaced. I don't know if they need to be enhanced and are overwhelmed and need more support. Whatever that is, rest assured that would be at least in my top three, and if not. My number one priority between this season and next season. Because this can't continue. This has got to be the end of just these catastrophic, season-ending, unlimited amounts of energies. This is just insane. It's nuts. But as the trade deadline approaches, obviously we've had uh, Ryan O'Reilly traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm going to be interested to see if that trade sets a trend for this trade season, meaning that multiple teams are involved in every trade. Not just between two, but like three, four, or even more teams, because there seems to be a bit of a crunch, if you will, as far as payroll and its availability. So I'm really interested to see if that's kind of a model, if you will, for trades. But in addition, I really want once again, hope that Jonathan Duran, Evgeny Donatov, Joel Armia, Mike Hoffman, if nothing else, are moved for third round picks. If that's all Montreal gets, it's something, at least, okay? I think Montreal has to do a lot of searching right now regarding the position of goal. And when I say regarding the position of goal, I don't mean acquiring a goaltender from another organization, but it has to be really concerning right now that the only goaltender in the organization that seems to be ready and is playing well and has played well and happens to also be on the Canadiens roster is Sam Montembeau. Sam has been really, really good this year and has really proven himself, definitely earning his new contract. I mean, at this point, the million dollar contract that he signed in the offseason for, I believe, two years has got to be the steal of the offseason of contracts. He has been above and beyond expectations. Jake Allen, that's over.
over. That's done. I, last year, yes, an important part. Yes, he's a good influence in the room. Yes, he's probably been a value to Sam as far as like a person to go to for advice and things like that. But he is like done. I, he, he is a like a lot of other players that have the year before looked fairly good or okay. I can tell you two players that have been injured regularly again this year like last year that are just, their careers are over with. And that's Brendan Gallagher and Jake Allen. It's just, it's over with for those guys. I They just don't seem to have anything left. They gave their all. And it's unfortunate because I think they're two team chemistry guys that teams love. I, they are heart and soul guys. And that's what makes it a little bit more painful, if you will, to just watch them vaporize before your eyes, literally like they have. Here's a topic we haven't talked about in at least three episodes. Carey Price. Hey, can't say that topic's ever going to go away, but I personally am glad for him that he is selling his house, at least in Montreal, and I've heard potentially other ones, and going back to Vancouver. Kind of just like Shea Weber did last year. He is just so done. Look, he he's not part of the game anymore. He's been gone for so long now and been injured. The game's forgotten about him, and he really is not front and center, even though he's been around and in town this year of the organization. There's not even any more media coverage this year than there was last year. There's not any more interviews by him this year than there was last year. I wish the guy well. He gave it a good, solid 10-year run, man. He will go down as the Canadians goaltender out of that entire list of just extraordinary talent that that organization has had at that position. He has won the most games. Unfortunately, that and his season where he won seven individual awards are going to be the highlights of his career. Maybe that's enough to get him into the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately, I think at best, he will be a coach for somebody. And maybe that'll be perfect. Maybe his dream job is to become the goaltending coach or a consultant in goaltending for Vancouver, for Seattle, somewhere where either his wife's family's from or that he's from. It's a local team and he can stay in in the game that he loves and is so passionate about, but I think his playing days are done. I mean, the fact that he still can't even walk up and down stairs, how do you not just feel sorry for the guy and just wish him and his family the absolute best possible? But hey, honestly, I just hope the guy can still walk. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping the guy can still live a complete, uninterrupted, undisconnected life with his kids and his family, play games, play catch, all those things that dads and their kids and their families like to do together and stuff like that. I hope he's got at least that because his playing career, done. Honestly, if he comes back, I will eat my words and I will be so happy for him. But at this point, there's something, there's that little word called realism that is just kind of snuck in there and not painted a very good picture. But I do think, heading into the trading deadline and working our way through that, I think there are very good for both franchise deals or types of deals for Montreal to have with the Washington Capitals, the Carolina Hurricanes, Colorado Avalanche, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe Dallas could be, or the Las Vegas Knights could be, that team that gives Montreal a number one pick for Monaghan. For two reasons. One, those teams are on the edge right now. Those teams are 
are both legitimate contenders. Those teams also are not in any kind of a rebuild, don't really have a lot of space for younger players to develop right now because they're as close to it as they are. So Monahan being 27-28, if he could come back the rest of the season, solidify with one of those two teams, I think would be a tremendous playoff addition. Not only do I think Las Vegas or Dallas would be very tempted to resign him, but I think he'd be very happy in both those markets as well. He's one of those players that not only I think wants to play for a contending team, but I think would really, really enjoy some warmer weather climate year round. That rules out Canada, unfortunately, and Canadian cities are absolutely more gorgeous than most cities around the world. It does heavily favor teams of the South. And some of those teams in the South and the United States also have very, very friendly tax structures, which even if your contract in the case of Monaghan, let's say the new contract he signs, because he currently makes $6.375 million per season, let's say a team goes, you know what, we'll offer you a new contract, four years, $6 million a year. Well, first of all, that's pretty good in itself, to say the least. But if you happen to go to one of those states that is not only warmer weather, but also has no state income tax, you're going to be making more at signing that new contract, even though your previous contract was worth more in actual numerical numbers. So not a bad combination. Hey, on that note, it has been a fantastic show once again. Thank you for tuning into episode 32. I am your host, Steven Stiles, and this season is just screaming by. And like I said a couple shows ago, probably until at least the week after the trade deadline officially ends, that is going to be the topic, most likely of my shows, but certainly of the league. It's going to be really interesting to see if it is boom or bust. If it's robust or a dud, it's going to be, I don't think anything in between. I think it's going to be a pretty amazing trade season potentially, or it could be a just nail in the coffin, dead quiet. It's going to be one or the other one. We'll talk soon. Thanks again for tuning in. 